0: This is the New Chemist's Podcast Breaking News Announcement. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We interrupt your distractions to remind you of the ambitions that fuel your aspirations. We interrupt your diversions to furnish you with pivotal notions and revelations to realize your objectives. We interrupt your preoccupations to underscore the importance of maintaining good health, extending a hand to others in their pursuit of well-being. And now, We are delighted to begin this episode of the New Chemists Podcast, a beacon of knowledge and insight for educational purposes. Stay tuned for a world of discovery. This is the New Chemists Podcast, and we are here to keep you informed and inspired. Welcome to the New Chemists Podcast, one of the best chemistry podcasts globally. We are glad you are listening. We encourage you to subscribe and continue to listen.
1: Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. We are glad you are listening. We are one of the best chemistry podcasts globally. We encourage you to subscribe and continue to listen. The New
2: Chemist Podcast. We are so glad you are listening. Feel free to subscribe on Spotify and tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. oh
0: <laughs> hot
3: Our deepest fear by Marion Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, Who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, Who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightening about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we when our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Our deepest fear by Mary Williams. Are very important. Especially to us here at the New Chemist Podcasting Group. You listening in is significant.
2: Vous êtes très important, surtout pour nous ici au New Chemist Podcasting Group. Votre écoute is significative.
4: Usted es muy importante, especialmente para nosotros aquí en The Nuche Mist Podcasting Group. Usted escuchando es significativo.
1: Você é muito importante, especialmente para nós do The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Você ouvindo é significativo.
0: Είστε πολύ σημαντικοί, ειδικά για εμάς εδώ στο The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Το να ακού είναι σημαντικό. Sie sind sehr wichtig,
5: besonders für uns hier bei The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Es ist wichtig, dass du zuhörst. Je bent erg belangrijk vooral voor ons hier bij The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Dat je meeluistert is veel betekenend.
3: You are very important, especially to us here at the New Chemist Podcasting Group. You listening in is significant. Welcome to the New Chemist podcast.
4: Bienvenidos al podcast del nuevo químico. Kalos podcast Welcome to New
0: Chemist.
5: Welcome by the podcast from the New Chemist.
2: Bienvenue sur le podcast du Nouveau Chimiste. Bien-vindo
1: au podcast du Nouveau Chimiste.
3: Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. Work hard. Be value-driven. You can do it.
1: Você pode crescer e aprender. Você pode ser a diferença que você e sua comunidade precisam. Não desista. Estamos aqui torcendo e torcendo por você. Não desista. Δουλεψε σκληρά.
0: Να οδηγείτε στην αξία. Μπορείτε να μεγαλώσετε και να το μάθετε. Μπορείτε να είστε η διαφορά που χρειάζεστε εσείς και η κοινότητά σας. Μην τα παρατάς. Είμαστε εδώ για να σας ζητοκραυγάσουμε. Μην τα παρατάς.
4: Τραβάχα δούρο.
3: In the world of pharmacy, we lay the claim. Knowledge and compassion is the golden flame. Signs and practice, side
0: by
1: side, they groove. In a student's journey, we find the move.
3: Hello, Mike. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, uh, for inviting me. yeah, no problem. So, my first question for you is: What has been some of the most beneficial advice you have received?
6: Uh, I think the most beneficial advice I've received, at least in the context of, I guess the the greater purpose of our discussion, which was talking about chemistry and kind of the way we interact with the world as chemists in the way that we think about the world as chemists is essentially like kind of the the advice that's pretty general, like never give up and keep on trying. If you get knocked down, you have to get back up again. And I think in the context of chemistry, this is probably the most important advice I've had, because when you're doing research, most likely your experiment is not going to work. Probably out of 100 experiments you do maybe like depending on which exact field of chemistry you're in like 50 of them, 70 of them, 80 of them will fail. So really for me I think the most important thing has been being told and being affirmed that failure is normal and that you just have to keep working and try again.
3: Yeah I agree, that's important to persevere. So do you have any advice for those wanting to pursue the field you are currently working in
6: yeah i would say my advice for someone who wants to be in chemistry is that they need to really seek out people who can give them guidance Mm -hmm. i think you shouldn't wait for someone to say like let me help you i think you have to be really proactive kind of like you've been doing with this podcast you're reaching out to people you're seeing what's worked for them in their their careers and especially lots of chemists you're reaching out to them the people who have experience in the field and you're seeing like what made you successful what worked well for you I think you really have to look around and find a mentor who can or mentors multiple mentors who can really help guide you in your path because there's a lot you can miss if you're trying to walk the path alone
3: okay so would you say mentorship has played a lot played a large role in your development as a chemist yeah, definitely. Okay, that's good, that's good. So, why did you choose chemistry as a field to major in in your undergraduate years?
6: Yeah, so initially I chose biochemistry, which was okay. kind of motivated out of... Um, like, I, I like chemistry because it's a mixture of kind of applied science and then also fundamental science. Okay. It's called the central science often. And I chose biochemistry because I liked the the relationship between the chemistry side and also kind of like the more medicine type side. I didn't want to be a doctor, but I thought it was really cool to see how chemistry and different like therapeutics can help the body, how you can like heal humans using the knowledge of chemistry. But as I progressed in my study of chemistry, I got more interested in things that went beyond just like chemistry interacting with humans, but just chemistry interacting with the whole world, which is kind of how I shifted more towards inorganic chemistry where I was interested in how chemistry in humans using chemistry, either as chemists or as people driving cars or using plastic materials, whatever it may be, interact with the world, and I really liked how inorganic chemistry could help shape the way we interact with the whole world.
3: Okay, so what do you mean by that? Um, what what specific ways, uh, or, or even want to be more even more specific, what specific area of inorganic chemistry is your research centered around?
6: Yeah. So my interest in inorganic chemistry even surpasses just my research. I'll I'll talk about both, I guess. Okay. So like in general, inorganic chemistry, for example, like all of the plastics around us, most of them are made using inorganic catalysts. Plastics play like a huge role in our world and this has been like our development that happened within like the several decade time span that was really important, a really important contribution from inorganic chemistry. Also, if you look at like a lot of the like industrial feedstock chemicals we have to use, like ammonia is one that's central to our research group because ammonia is important for fertilizer and then as a nitrogen feedstock chemical, Okay. Inorganic catalysts are like necessary for providing more ammonia for both fertilizer and feedstock applications. There's also like hydrocarbon cracking
1: mm-hmm.
6: There are all sorts of uh different different industrial applications that really heavily rely on metal catalysts. So inorganic chemistry really appealed to me as something that spanned so many different uh, like areas of our life where we may not even realize it. Even just in your car, like your catalytic converter in your mm-hmm. car, is inorganic catalysts. Yeah. So in my own research, what's interesting, our group deals quite heavily in the nitrogen cycle, although we also look at other small molecule activations. I work for Jonas Peters at Caltech to um, provide some context. We work a lot in the nitrogen cycle, and I work in the conversion of Ammonia and nitrogen, so our group historically studies the process where you take nitrogen
3: mm-hmm. and
6: you convert it to ammonia, which is called nitrogen fixation. Mm. One of the most important industrial processes, the Haber-Bosch process. Um, but recently, well, not not even recently, for decades, there's been interest in using ammonia as fuel because ammonia is doesn't have any carbon in it. So if you use ammonia as fuel, not necessarily combust, you could also use it like a fuel cell or some other uh, application. Using ammonia as fuel would be a carbon free fuel. And um, that's been something that people are really interested in recently because there's a lot of uh, push towards avoiding the carbon-based fuels because of concerns about global warming. Mm -hmm. But even more importantly, to me, like carbon-based fuels will run out like that seems to be something that's hard to debate no matter how much people may have different perceptions on the prospects of global warming if you use up a resource you will run out of it and mm-hmm. carbon-based fuels are hard to replenish so you can either do research in replenishing carbon-based fuels which is a really active and important area of research or you can research alternative technologies that don't rely on the carbon-based fuel so this could be like capturing solar energy, wind energy, any of these things, or storing that energy in different fuels, one of which could be ammonia. So that's what my research deals with, turning ammonia into nitrogen as a new carbon-free fuel. Okay,
3: that's good, that's good. So if you had to give along the same lines of advice and career paths, how have you been able to be so academically successful as a student. How what would you attribute to your success? Or who or what process or pattern or lifestyle? Yeah. I think
6: for this question it's really important to acknowledge my parents, because my parents, I think having two parents who were really interested in my academic success was really helpful. Both mm-hmm. of them are really involved in like, like pushing me to study and really prioritize that in my life, making that like really important for me not, not like diminishing its importance and saying like, yeah, school's all right, but why don't you focus on like all these other activities also like they did let me do other activities I played soccer my whole life. Um, I ran track when I was in high school, I did a lot of other activities. but they weren't like forcing me to do anything. They gave me the the ability to make my own choice, Mm -hmm. but they imparted how important education was, which Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for because even though I really liked soccer when I was a kid, like it's unlikely you're gonna become a professional athlete, for example. Mm -hmm. So, and I also like suffered a lot of like injuries when I was doing sports. Mm -hmm. where that would have, like, had a really negative effect if I wanted to keep playing sports. So, like, I chose not to try to play sports in college because of injuries I had in high school. Whereas, like, focusing on academics, because my parents made me focus so much on, or didn't make me focus so much on academics, but made me realize how important it was. That was, like, a gift that I've been able to keep, like, across many different circumstances so i think that's a really important factor in terms of making me see that it's important okay. i think a lot of people although to people like us who are like grad students who are beginning their their career as a graduate student mm-hmm. it's, it's like obvious that education is important i think not everyone is of the same opinion where they don't necessarily think it's that important okay and I don't think education in the, like, college education itself is the most important thing. Like, I also think it's really important to have education for, like, um, like, more, like, not college education for paths, class. So, like, being a electrician or being a mechanic or some, those other, some other skill like that. I think that's also really important. And yeah. I in, include that also in education.
3: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, for example, uh, like in the Bahamas, they have different paths that students can take and one would be a strictly academic route and there's also a pathway in which you can study at a technical and vocational institute. So yeah, both play a large role in development and providing job security and good opportunities for people to find work. So. Um, how do you maintain a balanced life given all your responsibilities and accomplishments, or how are you trying to maintain a balanced life?
6: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a kind of. I'm not a great person to ask about this because I <laughs> kind of, the way that I I operate is kind of like uh my the my PI he's told me many times like graduate school is a marathon. Yeah, but. My response to that question is that I'm a sprinter. When I was in high school school and I ran track, I was a sprinter. Like my mentality is always like to go fast. Yeah. So that's something I'm trying to work on a bit, like being more patient. Um, So I'm not really great with the whole balancing thing. Pretty much what I do is like I work really hard for a while and then after that I'll rest for a while. And I okay. kind of go in cycles Okay Which is a fair strategy But maybe the marathon strategy is slightly better
3: But uh, yeah, I wouldn't
6: say I'm the best source for the question
3: Okay, well, it's good It's good to... I would say this It's good to work and to rest And the fact, the fact that you have found a way to incorporate both in your studies is very beneficial So... Um, how do you maintain vision and teamwork in your environment?
6: Yeah, so I think that really ties in well with the last question about um, maintaining a balanced life in the emotional, being a sprinter versus being a marathon runner. I think a really important thing is patience. I think patience has to be like one of the most important lessons I've learned in graduate school. And I think it's what is of utmost importance in maintaining vision and teamwork because when you work in a team inevitably people are going to want to work at different rates they're going to want to have different thoughts they're going to want to explore different pathways you might disagree on which pathway you want to work on Mm -hmm. so I think really patience is really important for maintaining vision and teamwork because you need to really be patient and see where the other people on your team are coming from. Mm -hmm. You need to like really get in their shoes and see like how are they thinking about the problem like what are their thoughts on the problem not what my thoughts are on the problem like Mm -hmm. what are my team my teammates thoughts and in order to do that it takes time and that means you need to be patient with the other people to figure out, you know, what their thoughts are.
3: Yeah, I agree. Patience is very important. It allows you to be uh, considerate, conscientious, and to work collaboratively and effectively with people, especially in scientific environments. So, um, along the lines of environment, um, how have you sought or found the right environment for you to thrive scientifically and or intellectually. How are you finding that environment? Or how did you find it?
6: Yeah, I think this is really something that just takes like personal experimentation. So for me, like the right environment for me to thrive a lot of it has to do with like when I work and how I work.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Like for me, I figured out that I like to work like later at night I'm much more effective when i'm working later at night mm. so even grad school where i have a pretty flexible schedule i've been able to make my schedule such that i can work in the hours that i'm more productive which is usually working later at night and uh yeah i, th- I think that's the main thing I, not- I don't really know about other factors maybe you have some other factors in mind that i can that you can bring up but
3: um, so you're basically saying, you're basically saying personal experimentation it requires some personal reflection and self-discovery and yeah. like, Understanding yourself and how you fit into the environment Yeah,
6: so yeah. Under- Understanding how you fit in the environment is really important and it, yeah. it takes the two factors You have to see the environment mm-hmm. which is one factor, but you also have to do the self-reflection Which is really important. You have to like actively ask yourself like is what I'm doing working?
3: Yeah, I agree. I, I completely agree because, you know, I've heard different takes on this after interviewing several people, you know, um, self-discovery is important, self-reflection is important. Yes, finding a good environment is important as well but, you know, sometimes you can complement to the environment becoming what you want. You can be a change agent in that environment um, even as a beginning beginner or learner because, you know, I've interviewed other people and they've stated how they have complemented to creating the environment that they wanted to see or shaping the environment in a direction or path that was aligned with what they valued thought to be true so how have you been uh adaptive and creative in the field of science what specific ways or areas have you been adaptive or creative in science
6: yeah i think this question i can't say that i'm necessarily adaptive and creative what I'll say is that there's nothing new under the sun. I
3: think
6: the most adaptive and creative things I've been able to do that may seem adaptive or creative I think come from looking very vigorously at what's already known so in the context of chemistry there's there are so many papers that have been published over like say the last 200 years Mm -hmm. and there's been so much research by so many people and oftentimes small paths of investigation get forgotten because at that point in time it wasn't clear how the different paths connected with one another Mm -hmm. but if you look from our modern perspective now and you look really deeply and you say i saw like all these different paths that people were researching at different points in time and now seeing all of them together at this current time I see a link between them. I think finding that link between maybe these old threads of investigation is really an important thing that can be overlooked. A lot of times it's more exciting to try to find something brand new, but it's easy to find something new and creative from what's already known. So you have to really dig into what's known in the primary literature and has been my experience in life.
3: Yeah, I agree because you know, Many times it, many times people want to, or some persons may want to work on something that's novel or come up with something that's novel, but as you look back on previous literature, um, whether it be in a discipline in chemistry or a discipline in science in general, as you look back at previous literature, you can gain insight that can complement you um, doing an experiment better or adjusting some type of parameter within the experiment. So yeah, I do agree, that is very important. Um, so, how do you maintain a view of the bigger picture in your career and in your life in general?
6: Yeah, I think this question gets at one's worldview. Okay. So my personal worldview is that I'm a Christian and I have faith in Jesus. And for me, that's been—it's kind of a freeing thing because. Maintaining the bigger picture of my life, that is the bigger picture for me. So, I'm not tied to like, being a perfect scientist or like, being a new hero of scientists, like trying to be the new Einstein, or whatever your favorite scientist may be. Yeah, I agree. Like, I don't, like, although I do like to try to like, strive for perfection, if Mm -hmm. I fail, that's not a problem. I don't I don't need to be perfect to like redeem my life. I just need to do my best and as part of my personal like philosophy, which I think is tied to Christianity, trying to be the best version of yourself and leave the world better and yes. ensemble, I think that um, even though that is my goal, if I fail, it's not it's okay because I don't need to, be the best in order to be to be doing my part. I just need to, I don't need to be successful. I just need to be really doing my very best. In doing it well.
3: Yeah, I agree because you know, my worldview is based on my, my Christian faith as well. And you know, um, my understanding is, you know, as we progress and as we move along, we try and get better day by day. It's a journey. So you don't have to like arrive or be some perfect person at the end of the day we're, we're gradually becoming better so yeah that, that, that does play a large role a faith perspective does play a large role so as we conclude what have been your long-standing interests in the field of science if you had to summarize it in like two or three sentences what have been your long-standing interests in the field of science
6: I think now one of my long standing interests is uh, like conversion of fuel, like making a way for us to power our planet in a way that is better than our current systems. All okay. right. This relates to like one of, it, it's long standing in the fact that when I was a kid, one of my dreams was to have a Lotus Exige, this like fancy kind of niche sports car. Okay. But as I grew up, I came to see that I I felt like a bad environmental steward if I were to buy a car that has 10 miles per gallon fuel efficiency. Okay. So, now I feel like I need to be working on, like, I still want a sports car,
3: but oh, yeah. I don't want to be
6: a bad steward of the environment.
3: Yeah, I understand. It's,
6: just... it's, it's beyond that, this is kind of like a like a trivial example and somewhat of a joke, but uh-huh. I think it's true. We want to maintain our lifestyle, but we want to be good stewards of the environment. Yes. How can we do that if we don't have technology that will allow us to do both? We, yeah. we, can't, do, we can't do both equally in our, the current state of our, our world. Mm-hmm. And our future generations won't be able to do it if there is no more fuel. So, I, I see that as like a really, really important problem.
3: Hey, that's good, man. That's very good. Thanks again for joining me today, Mike. It was good to have you here.
6: Yeah, it was really good to see you. And-
3: Okay, this is definitely exciting. Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. We are so glad you are listening. Feel free to download this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, and a variety of other platforms. Here on the New Chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community research, successful student stories, and much more. My co-host for today is Dr. Mike Zott, otherwise known to me as Mike. It's so good to have Mike on the podcast. Thanks for yeah, joining. Yeah, thanks for having me, David. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude. Good, good experience. A uh, Good opportunity to just chat with you for a bit and let everyone hear your expertise and I, as I share some of my experiences. So let me just briefly inform the audience about you, and then we'll just dive in. So Mike Zott um, is a, currently a postdoc at UPenn with Professor Dirk Trauner. He did his PhD at Caltech to California Institute of Technology from October 2018 to February 2023. I had the opportunity to attend his PhD defense virtually. Definitely was a treat. Um, he did his PhD in inorganic chemistry with Professor Jonas Peters. He graduated from Georgia Tech. That's where I met him. Um, he did BS in chemistry with a minor in physics, and he got a 4.0. Um, he's definitely very accomplished. He has a variety, uh, a myriad of research experiences that aim to provide support for people, chemists, pharmacists, students, enthusiasts interested in the content in educational and intellectually stimulating ways. So refer to the relevant experts if specific advice is needed, whether it be medical or professional. These are just for entertainment and educational purposes only. So yeah, Mike, man, this is good. This is good. So how have you been, Mike? Yeah, how you been? I've been... Yeah, I've been very good. Like you said, I
6: defended my PhD several months ago, so it's really nice to wrap that stage of my life up. (laughs) It was a really fun period of life, but it was also very challenging in ways that you, you really never expect... Oh, yeah. What the difficulty will be in your PhD. For some people, the difficulty is doing the research. Uh-huh. For some people, maybe it's their interaction in a total or not my PhD, my postdoc in a totally new area of research, which has been really fulfilling because I went from doing inorganic chemistry is really focused on metals and in particular metals in the context of sustainable chemistry. And now I've switched over to a field where I'm learning a lot about organic chemistry and the synthesis of complex natural products, as well as continuing in the chemistry, um, like methodology, that sort of chemistry in the context of sustainable transformations using oxygen uh, as a terminal oxidant in some more interesting uh, iron-catalyzed chemistry similar to my PhD work. So there's some similar chemistry I'm doing and then also some chemistry that's just totally new to me that's been really fascinating to learn about.
3: Oh wow, this is very interesting. So what caused the switch?
6: Um, so part of the switch was that I started doing some methodology in my PhD uh-huh. in the realm of organic chemistry uh-huh. that was a bit different from the you know sustainability-focused chemistry I was doing for the bulk of my PhD. Mm -hmm. The chemistry I'm referring to there is converting ammonia into dinitrogen using iron catalysts, and the goal of that research was to study uh, how we fuel in a fuel cell just like, for example, hydrogen. If you've Mm -hmm. ever heard of like a hydrogen fuel cell or a hydrogen-powered car, something like that. It's, you know, the exact same concept, so that's what I was working on. But then I started doing this project that involved copper catalysts, and photochemistry, mm-hmm. and there the idea was trying to make ways to make complex molecules uh, in a maybe an easier way, mm-hmm. but at a very fundamental level. Oh, and yeah. what I wanted to learn in my postdoc is how I could take these fundamental skills that I was working on in my PhD and apply them uh, to the, you know, challenges that are, you know, maybe larger, where I'm pulling in methodology that many other people across the world and across time have developed in order to make these complex molecules that have really interesting biological properties, mm-hmm. as well as just really beautiful, intricate chemical structures.
3: Okay, so like what? Complex molecules like what?
6: Like natural products. So I won't say like the molecule I'm working on. No, you don't have to. Yeah. But what it looks like is it's kind of steroidal in nature. Okay, There's okay. Aspects that look like the okay. carbon skeleton of a steroid. Okay. And then okay. There are some other
3: aspects that are uh, quite different. So okay. Wonderful man, wonderful. So I guess you nod to the Ashen Moses, the Woodwards, the Coreys, you nod to them as you do your work.
6: Yes, exactly. You nod that same to them. same class of people. In oh, fact, yeah. my building right when I would get out of the elevator each day there's a poster of EJ Corey. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. So you I'd know, get out and I'd see a picture of him with his schlank line back in probably the seventies. Oh wow. Experiment. So that was always an interesting sight as I stepped out of the elevator.
3: I had the opportunity to work with one of his postdoctoral students who was a professor at IU at the time. So he, and he was, two of actually, two of the professors at IU Chem were actually with DJ Corey. It's so interesting how the chemistry world, it's big, but it's small at the same time. But yeah, dude, um, so I guess you're kind of curious um, to know um, why I made my switching. Uh, are you curious to know as to yes, why? Yes,
6: I'm extremely curious about <laughs> how you switched curious. from your chemistry <laughs> background chemistry, where I friend. met you. i met you at georgia tech and you're very excited about chemistry but you've Uh always been excited about medicine and applying it Uh and that's kind of similar to how i switched in my postdoc you know i went Uh from you know fundamental chemistry to trying to do chemistry in an applied way Uh and i imagine that's kind of similar how you're taking your chemistry background and applying it in pharmacology so let's Uh hear about
3: that okay good well you know you almost took the words out of my mouth because you you know you're always the same bright person i met you when i met you but yeah Given that um, I want to apply it, I want to not just teach it, and do research on it. I want to have the opportunity to apply it and help more people. I see myself being able to do that best through the use of a PharmD. So yes, I have an MS in chemistry, but um, at the same time, I wanted to apply it not just in the academic and research setting, so in the intellectual arena, but also I want to apply it in a place or in a space where I could see the impact in a shorter time interval. So, like with pharmacology knowledge, rather being understanding how the drug affects the body, so pharmacodynamics, or understanding how the body is impacted by the drugs, so pharmacokinetics, so absorption, distribution, metabolism, excretion, those types of things. Um, understanding those aspects and then applying them well. Understanding the drug mechanism of action. Understanding the drug class. Understanding how it functions in the body, how it's functioning in relation to the endogenous ligand that type of thing, all of that, that body of knowledge, especially when applied and when, uh, understood well, I think I've seen, I, I've come to understand and appreciate that it can help people. And so that adds a lot of, uh, value and also it's fulfilling to me, even as I'm learning about it, because it's not in a way, I would say, I wouldn't say it's a homologous transition. Like it didn't really come from the same origin but I would say it's in a way it's like orthogonal, but it's very similar, analogous, if you will, because at the same time I'm applying all of the information that I've learned, all of the experiences I've gained is being applied basically every time I step into the classroom. So I did my MS in chemistry, but I did a concentration in chemical biology in a minor in organic. So, so some of those things, whether it be first pass metabolism, or introduction, having a good understanding of the electron transport chain, friends, like all of the, the chemistry speak, if you will, is not foreign to me. So it's definitely a good... I, I came into this program with a good toolkit, and I'm grateful for it. But yeah, Mike, so today, me and Mike, we're going to be discussing um, this article that Mike suggested. So I, I'll use a co So the article is entitled capturing primary ozonides for syn-dihydroxylation of olefins. Why well, Mike? that a mouthful? What, do you, what If you had to summarize that title like in just a few words before we start diving into the content of the paper, um, what would you say? Of course, this paper was published in Nature Chemistry. How would you simplify it for a re, for an average, regular person or a lay person who is not really familiar with olefins and ozonides? And why should they even care?
6: Yeah, that's a great question. I would say... At least to start with, mm-hmm. the premise of this paper is trying to accomplish a transformation. You know what I mean by transformation is just converting the material you put into the reaction into the products. So that's the transformation of really common type of chemical called olefins or alkenes mm-hmm. that are found in you know numerous types of molecules. These could be uh, building blocks that maybe a medicinal chemist would use in order to try to make a drug. These are often found in molecules of biological origin. So, for example, many of the molecules in your body, they are olefins in many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really found in, you know, many parts of nature. So this is a general transformation that's applicable to, you know, all sorts of molecules that have these olefins in them, or these carbon-carbon double bonds. And then the idea is that you can add two oxygen atoms, mm-hmm. form of alcohols, onto that double bond mm-hmm. and turn it into a, a diol and specifically a, a syn dial, which means that the two oxygens are you know oriented uh sort of on the same face that's how they're added onto this double bond okay. and right. the reason this is important is because these syn diols
3: occur in a number of different uh... as Mike spoke about the double bonds using ozone traditional ozonolysis reactions result in the cleavage of the olefin bond olefin double bond um, the article explores a novel approach where ozone is used as a constructive reagent rather than a deconstructive one aiming to create new chemical reactivity and increased molecular complexity the authors focus primarily on POZs, so primary ozonides as preparative synthetic intermediates for a green and safe olefin syn dihydroxylation So yeah,
6: that's that's where we have to make I would say a really important point, which is the main premise of this paper. Uh So yes, they're doing this transformation where they're going from an olefin to a diol, Uh which is not a new transformation. Uh The molecules they're making certainly are important, but what's really remarkable about this study in particular Uh is that they're taking a transformation that people have known about for a really long time, ozonolysis, Uh and usually what happens is it breaks the molecule Uh in half Uh Not necessarily in half, but it cuts it right in the middle of that olefin, Uh that carbon-carbon double bond. But what's really unique and groundbreaking about this particular study is that they're able to stop that process from happening. Mm -hmm. They're able to interrupt it Mm -hmm. and retain that carbon-carbon bond, which in this case is kind of valuable, Mm -hmm. and do a dihydroxylation as opposed to cleaving that double bond all the way into, you know, for example, ketones and Mm -hmm. aldehydes, carboxylic acid, some sort of carbonyl compound. So they interrupt this process, Mm. and uh, that's really, I think, quite groundbreaking, because they're doing it without uh, the presence of any, you know, harmful metals. Mm -hmm. So, for example, normally the way you would do this transformation, Mm -hmm. at least one example, is you'd use this compound called osmium tetroxide, which is extremely 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 toxic Uh it's a metal but it is also volatile which means it evaporates easily so Mm -hmm. it's very hard to handle in many cases unless you use specially prepared forms of it and if you're exposed to it uh, i believe it can even
3: cause issues such as blindness oh wow wow so would you handle something like that in the glove box or would you not handle it this is something
6: you would want to use uh in a fume hood definitely Uh, people wouldn't typically use it in a glove box but there are some forms where it's encapsulated in a material that uh, makes it easier to handle Mm. or there are some uh like salt precursors where it's not in the form of osmium tetroxide Mm. specifically which is volatile but it's a salt of it which makes it you know no longer evaporate easily
3: so you can weigh it out more easily Okay, this is good. This is good. So some people might have seen some dihydroxylation reactions or some descriptions of dihydroxylation uh, in the oxidation of alkenes with cold potassium permanganate into the cis or where you have like hot potassium permanganate into two carbonyl compounds, which is what Mike spoke about just uh, a while ago. So yeah, so ozone, this paper talks about, it, it mentions ozone, which is a powerful oxidant used in various industrial applications, including Pharmaceutical synthesis and disinfectants. So <clears throat> typically, when we hear about um, ozone, we hear about the hole in the the stratosphere or the hole, the ozone hole. So it's technically not a hole where ozone is present, but it's actually a region of exceptionally depleted ozone stratosphere over in the Antarctic that happens at the beginning of the Southern Hemisphere. Um, so. Uh, it's interesting how this this involves ozone. Why did you why do you think they chose to use ozone? Is it because of its uh, catalytic nature or reactive nature? Why do you think they chose to use ozone as opposed to using something else to run these reactions? I understand they wanted to do dihydroxylation, but why did they choose ozone? I think the reason
6: that they chose ozone in this study is that ozone is a pretty sustainable oxidant okay. because it's generated from oxygen, mm-hmm. which is very abundant in the atmosphere. The atmosphere is made up of about 20% oxygen, so it's very readily available. And the only input uh, to generate the ozone is electricity. So the way this usually works in the lab is you have an oxygen tank, which mm-hmm. is pretty cheap and non-toxic, mm-hmm. at least uh, in dilute concentrations. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's very flammable, so you have to work carefully with it. Of course. But you feed it into an ozone generator, which essentially just looks like you know, a big rectangle, which you stick a tube in, and a tube comes out of it, and you plug it into a wall socket, and it uses electricity to convert the oxygen into ozone. So the ozone comes out the outlet hose, and then you bubble that into your reaction. So it's both easy to generate, and it's also, you know, relatively sustainable as compared to some of the other ways you might carry out this transformation. And in addition to that, it's also very easy to remove. So the ozone like you mentioned in the ozone layer Mm -hmm. stratosphere it's Mm -hmm. a gas so Mm -hmm. it comes out of your reaction pretty easily so it's easy to get rid of the reagent Mm -hmm. um yeah so it really has a a number of advantages
3: okay so this is good this is good so as we progress into some more questions and more discussion um i just thought i would drop this uh, why do you think the stratosphere goes to church? Why do you think the stratosphere goes to church? Take a hmm, guess. Take a that guess is a now. pretty good question. Why would the stratosphere go to church? Let's see.
6: Hmm. Well, there is the common conception of uh ...heaven being in the sky.
3: Okay, okay, yeah. So you might
6: consider that... ...given its proximity being very high up in the sky... Mm-hmm. ...you know, it might want to be...
3: ...I don't know, maybe something like that. Oh, uh, no, dude, it's because it's holy. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, dude, it's because it has a holy, so it's holy. But anyway, moving forward, um... How would you uh, describe your graduate experiences in relation to this paper? So, would you have been able to do this type of work in your lab? Would you would, would you have had the time to do something like this, a project that involved uh, working on some type of transformation that's not necessarily novel but has a degree of uh, expertise? Or did, would you say you worked on stuff like this in terms of its value and its contribution to the scientific community? How would you? Um. I would say this is definitely very
6: different from the precise research I carried out, but it is in line with many of my interests in chemistry. So one of my major interests in chemistry, two of them are sustainable chemistry Mm -hmm. as well as uh, the generation of methods that are really empowering uh, to researchers in, you know, the synthesis of complex molecules. I'm really interested in both of those areas of chemistry. Mm -hmm. And I would say that this paper really, uh, if you looked at a Venn diagram of those two interests, I just said it's smack yeah. in the middle.
3: Smack in the middle. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
6: it's a really powerful method yeah. and it's also, you know, pretty straightforward conditions that many people have access to and, you know, their own laboratories and it's moving the direction of uh, you know, pretty interesting sustainable chemistry applications. So while it's totally unrelated to the precise reactions I myself was carrying out, yeah. it's certainly aligned with my interests and I think it's really an amazing paper because it takes it just takes you know a reaction that you learn in your undergraduate chemistry Uh kind of flips it on its head in a new way Uh uh, that you know you maybe wouldn't have thought of and it's when you get into the the details the chemical details of how they accomplished it Mm. it's a really interesting you know philosophical approach to the problem you know, I mean, the way they solve this challenge.
3: So what do you mean by that? It's an interesting philosophical approach. What do you mean by that?
6: So, for example, I don't want to delve too much into the weeds in terms of the chemistry. No, but what they do to. is they perform the reaction at a really low temperature with the olefin. Mm-hmm. And they uh, do that to stabilize the primary ozonide. So mm-hmm. this is the first stage of the reaction where ozone's added to the uh, olefin and you have a five-membered intermediate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the three atoms of the ozone and the two three atoms carbons. of the olefin yeah, yeah, yeah. yep and then they kick out one of the oxygens of ozone using a strong nucleophile mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm. case isopropyl magnesium bromide a grignard reagent
3: yeah grignard uh, yeah, and yeah.
6: that allows them to produce the resultant diol product okay. and it's really i'd be interested in figuring out how they chose this isopropyl grignard nucleophile because it's a it's a really reactive nucleophile it's sensitive to water it's sensitive uh you know to a lot of conditions yeah. and is just really an interesting choice of reagent for this transformation that I wouldn't say many people would have just thought of out of the box like oh I'm gonna use this reagent to kick out one of the oxygen atoms of a primary ozonite it's just a really creative solution to the problem.
3: Yeah. Do you think a Gilman reagent or a Gallicubrit would have worked? What do you think? Um, That's a good question. Uh,
6: I'm not, sure. Okay, I not would, sure. I would guess not. Okay. Because I think here they maybe want a harder nucleophile than, you know, okay. a Gilman type reagent. Okay. But uh, I'm not really sure. It's a, it's just the first report of this chemistry so i'm um, sure they're gonna follow up on this and
3: with more scope
6: yeah more many more mechanistic details and things of that nature well wow, get a good. better feeling for how it works but yeah, yeah this is good
3: so switching gears um switching gears as we start to progress in this conversation a little bit more what worked well for you in graduate school what would you say what strategies as you because you obviously were successful you finished that that's a, that's a, definitely a mark of success. Um, what would you say uh, comforted well for you doing well? well to you while you're in graduate school? Would it be uh, your time management, your scheduling? Um, you know, nowadays, definitely, you definitely, day.
6: definitely not time management. That's something okay. I keep working on as I get older in my life.
3: Yeah, being better same with as.
6: the calendar, with the scheduling.
3: Yeah, me too. Uh,
6: definitely, being married helps with that because I have more motivation to spend my time (laughs) in lab wisely. Okay, that's fair, that's fair. But I would say really the one most important point in my opinion is uh, this echoes a famous article written by, you know, this chemist Carolyn Bertozzi who won the Nobel Prize relatively recently.
3: Oh yeah, about orthogonal reactions, right? Yeah,
6: it's called... The way she calls it is being a closer. Uh, And essentially what that means is making sure that you finalize the research projects you're working on because it's a lot of fun to try out a bunch of different reactions start new things it's a lot more fun in the beginning when you don't have to uh, really dive really deep into all the details but i'd say the most important thing for myself was being very focused on finishing what i started Mm -hmm. and making sure i did the experiments to turn my initial hypothesis and initial successful research hit into a completed paper so doing some of the boring experiments like the characterization data Mm -hmm. or some of the mechanistic experiments that aren't necessarily fun to do Mm -hmm. but they're very important in terms of you know making sure your work is academically rigorous which i would say is one of the most important things as a scientist being very rigorous with all of the experiments you're
3: doing I completely agree. So as we zoom in and zoom out, for mechanistic details. Were you doing them like computationally, or did you like figure them out through the use of like NMR and mass spec, or did you use those primarily for your characterization? What just list a few of the tools that you use before we zoom out to a general picture of this. Yeah. yeah.
6: The reason, one of the reasons I wanted to work with my PhD advisor Jonas Peters is that I really valued uh, the academic rigor of the work that comes out of his lab. Yeah. So when we analyze a problem we use pretty much every tool at our disposal.
3: Oh, okay. okay. Which
6: fortunately at Caltech, we had a lot of tools at our disposal. Yeah. So one technique a lot of people did is EPR, electron paramagnetic resonance. I didn't get to do that too much, although I did do it in, you know, one of my papers. We had a Moss bar spectrometer in our own group, which I used in a lot of my work oh, wow. a specific type of spectroscopy yeah. uh, that works really well for iron containing compounds, which was oh, yeah. my specialty. Uh, nmr mass spectrometry uv vis electrochemistry really a lot of different
3: types of techniques okay that's a, that's good man that's good so from a general standpoint uh you said you still so time management is something you're still working on but your ability to finish what you start i think that's very that's very that's a very important uh practice you know being able to complete what you start. you uh, within reason, and want to you understand yourself and know yourself in your context. Yeah, being able to complete the projects that you start—that's—I that's, think that's very, very important. You know, um, it's good to experiment; it's good to try new things. But at the same time, um, discipline and focus—I think—is very, very, very important. Yeah, yeah. So in
6: in your transition to uh, like you've made a big transition, and you juggle a lot of things. Uh-huh. Obviously, you're doing a farm D. Uh-huh. You manage this podcast. You're involved with a lot of other you know, really important endeavors, how do you do it?
3: Oh, so how do I do it? Dude, I'll be honest with you. For me, it's accountability. Accountability is like a key aspect of this. See, when I vocalize what I'm doing to like people say, I might vocalize it to you or to my colleagues, friends, or vocalize it to my family members. When I vocalize it, there there's this implicit expectation that you will complete what you started. You will just drop it and leave it hanging. And also the, the support system that I have you know, when I express them that I'm working on something, they'll come to me and say, so, so how's it going with that? Uh, or how are you making progress with that? Or how is that fitting into what you have to do? Like, I, I honestly have people in school which I'm grateful for, and they'll come to me and they'll remind remember, you know, you know, we expect you to get this grade and this test, this type of thing. Or we expect you to be the top. Or we expect you to do this. Or we expect you to do that. And it's not really focusing so much on people's expectations, but having a network of accountability, you know, that, that is what really helps me. To manage all these things as well as you know i do do a lot of scheduling um a lot of i use google calendar and i use a hard copy calendar and I, one thing i do and I, i'm doing it more in pharmacy school is i take the i take the text and convert it in mp3 and listen to it as i'm on the bus or on the train or some walking so i'm listening to my notes as i'm going along so i try to use my time wisely and extract the value from it But yeah, Mike, um, this is really, really good. This is really, really good. So my thing, my question to you is, um, what advice do you have for future graduate students? As we start to wrap up, what advice do you have for future graduate students or people who are currently in graduate school? What advice would you give them as as you now serve as your postdoc? So I'm not sure what your future plans are, but you're in the postdoc at UPenn. Um, From our conversation, you seem to be doing fine. Um, What advice would you give to someone who's, like, recently starting, who just started a chemistry PhD program? Yeah,
6: definitely echoes the theme you just talked about, accountability. Mm -hmm. And I think as a beginning grad student, and I'll say in a research-like environment, what you want to do is you want to find a really good mentor. Uh, I think it's extremely important for a first-year graduate student, uh, at least if it's possible, to work with an older graduate student who's involved Mm -hmm. with them. And that's not always possible. Sometimes it's difficult to get someone to mentor you or your advisor maybe wants you to work on a project by yourself. But really, I think it's crucial to find a good older mentor, whether they're in your own research group or if they're in a different research group, maybe they're in an affinity group, uh, something like that. You just really have to find a a good mentor, I would say, in addition to your, your primary PhD advisor.
3: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And as we can put out I, I, I completely agree with you in that, you know, mentorship is so important and you could have different types of mentors. You could have professional mentors, you could have research mentors, you could have people who are mentoring you for where you want to go next. So yeah, you, you know mentors that are complementing to your network. Like I can listen to my mentors like Stanley Dorn, Dr. Kevin Brown, Dr. Tilbinanski, Chancellor May, uh, Dr. Bayer, Dr. Langer, those people have complemented my development. And, you know, I'm really appreciative for it. So yeah, dude, I completely agree. It's good to find a mentor. And this is the thing you have to remember. Um, the mentor might not come to you. Sometimes you have to go to them or find a time that's convenient for them or you have to read about their work or reach out to them or send the email. You know, what's the worst of that can happen? You send an email inquiring about the work that they're doing, wanting to hear more or have a conversation or reach out Reach out to people who are interested in or find out. Dude, I've realized that when it comes to academics, or uh, like scientists it's good when you can read about their work if you have time and find out so you can ask like salient questions that show that you've done your homework and you are complementing with uh or you are inquiring with a good bit of background research so you don't have to like write a thesis on it but just be aware of the things the big themes that they have worked on and have discussed but yeah mike this is definitely this definitely was a good conversation good concentrated conversation on paper and to speak with you and chat and hear how you are doing so it was wonderful to have you on as a co-host
0: welcome to the new chemist podcast one of the best chemistry podcasts globally we are glad you are listening we encourage you to subscribe and continue to listen
1: Welcome to the new chemist podcast. We are glad you are listening. We are one of the best chemistry podcasts globally. We encourage you to subscribe and continue to listen.
2: We are so glad you are listening. Feel free to subscribe on Spotify and tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast.
3: Our Deepest Fear by Marion Williamson Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond... Measure. Good. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightening about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you we are all meant to shine as children do we were born to make manifest the glory of god that is within us it's not just in some of us it's in everyone and as we let our own light shine we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same as we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I give this fear by Marion Williams. You are very important. Especially to us here at the New Chemist Podcasting Group. You listening in is significant.
2: Vous êtes très important, surtout pour nous ici au New Chemist Podcasting Group. Votre écoute is significative.
4: Usted es muy importante, especialmente para nosotros aquí en The Nuche Mist Podcasting Group. Usted escuchando es significativo. Você é muito importante,
1: especialmente para nós do The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Você ouvindo é significativo.
0: Είστε πολύ σημαντικοί, ειδικά για εμάς εδώ στο The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Το να ακούς είναι σημαντικό.
5: Sie sind sehr wichtig, besonders für uns hier bei The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Es ist wichtig, dass du zuhörst. Je bent erg belangrijk vooral voor ons hier bij The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Dat je meeluistert is veel betekenend.
3: You are very important, especially to us here at the New Chemist Podcasting Group. You listening in is significant. Welcome to the New Chemist podcast.
4: Bienvenidos al podcast del nuevo químico.
0: Es podcast to New Chemist.
5: Welcome by the podcast van Nieuw Chemist.
2: Bienvenue sur le podcast du Nouveau Chimiste.
1: Bien-vindo au podcast du Novo químico.
3: Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. Work hard, be value driven. You can do it. You can grow and learn it.
1: Você pode crescer e aprender. Você pode ser a diferença que você e sua comunidade precisam. Não desista. Estamos aqui torcendo e torcendo por você. Não desista.
0: Δουλεψε σκληρά. Να οδηγείτε στην αξία. Μπορείτε να μεγαλώσετε και να το μάθετε. Μπορείτε να είστε η διαφορά που χρειάζεστε εσείς και η κοινότητά σας. Μην τα παρατά. Είμαστε εδώ για να σα ζητωκραυγάσουμε. Μην τα παρατά.
4: Trabaja duro. Sea impulsado por el valor. Puedes hacerlo. Puedes crecer y aprenderlo. Usted puede ser la diferencia que usted y su comunidad necesitan. No te rindas, estamos aquí animándote y animándote. No te rindas.
5: Work hard. Wees waarde gedreven.
3: research on COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I. the pharmacy we lay the claim, knowledge and compassion is the golden flame, signs and practice side by side they groove, in a student's journey we find
0: the move.
5: This is the new chemist's podcast breaking news announcement. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We interrupt your distractions to remind you of the ambitions that fuel your aspirations. We interrupt your diversions to furnish you with pivotal notions and ideas to realize your objectives. We interrupt your preoccupations to underscore the importance of maintaining good health, extending a hand to others in their pursuit of well-being. And now, we are delighted to begin this episode of The New Chemist's Podcast, a beacon of knowledge and insight for educational purposes. Stay tuned for a world of discovery. This is The New Chemist's Podcast, and we are here to keep you informed and inspired.